want to speak to you about a subject that is very uh, relevant because uh, we, are, we are looking for answers. We are moving and shifting into the season of Thanksgiving. It's that time of the year where we celebrate and thank God for what he's done in our hearts and lives. There's very few countries that do this. Uh, matter of fact, the United States is the pioneer of this holiday where we began to realize that it was the miracle of God that put us where we are as a nation. And this week, we stand on the precipice of uh, what we call a whole new direction. There's probably never been a time in my life and your life where there's been more hanging in the balance as far as elections are concerned. We find this in the middle of our Thanksgiving season, and so therefore you may have a hard time giving thanks. I want to share with you today a subject. I want you to turn to the book of Daniel, to the book of Daniel. While you're turning there, I want to tee this up for you uh, because Daniel covers a lot. I know a lot of you, some of you are new believers, some of you are watching at home. You may not truly understand the whole concept of the Bible, but in the Old Testament, there, there seems to be a lot of books, but they really overlap each other. For instance, at the end of the book of Kings and the book of Chronicles over, overlay each other. And, uh, and then when you get into the prophets, many of them fit into the book of Kings and the book of Chronicles. And uh, matter of fact, the first, second book of Samuel, Samuel nestle in some of these uh, books with an overlaying theme. Uh, the book of Psalms, the book of Proverbs is also overlaid into many of these. So there's a couple of books that I want to talk to you about as I tee this up for you today. Um, and I want to talk to you about one promise, just one promise. And how do we, and, and to give thanks for the promise of God. And so that's the subject that I want to speak to you about. But here's the overlaying thing. So in the end of the book of Second Chronicles, there was a king named Jehokakim. And the nation of Israel had turned their back on God. They, wouldn't, they would not honor God. They would not serve God. That God sent them prophets. He sent them messengers begging them to come back. And they just were determined to live their life their way. And because God loved them, he sent this prophet Jeremiah to them. And uh, man preached and he preached and he shared his heart. And finally God gave him a message. And he said, you tell Israel that I'm sending somebody to take over. And uh, they're going to be in captivity. And uh, for 70 years, for seven Sabbaths, and on that last 70th year, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring them out. Matter of fact, we talk about this scripture a lot in Jeremiah 29. I know the plans that I have for you, saith the Lord, to give you hope in the future. And so, uh, man, that promise was given to them when they were living in captivity. So here, there was another prophet, and his name was Habakkuk. <clears throat> Habakkuk was maybe a lot like some of us. Habakkuk kept praying, and he kept saying, God, why won't you do something? I mean, do you pray, and you feel like we're losing? Do you feel like, as a believer, uh, we're losing ground, and, uh, man, that all is lost? And, and, and man, that, that man, I don't, you, sometimes if we were honest, we may even ask ourselves, I wonder if God's going to pull this thing out or not. I know you may not verbalize that, but you probably think that from time to time. And that's kind of Habakkuk, how Habakkuk was. And in Habakkuk, it says... Uh, that man, he said, Lord, why won't you do something? I keep praying, why won't you do something? God said, I am doing something. I'm raising up the Chaldeans to come in and take over. Now, to follow this through your theolo theological paradigm here, the Chaldeans 
was who King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Babylon, it was the whole concept. So here's what God said, Habakkuk, I am doing something. I'm raising up Nebuchadnezzar to come in and take over. A bitter, hasty, vile, wicked, one of the most terrible kings of all times was King Nebuchadnezzar. Powerful nation. And so, boy, God answered Habakkuk's prayers, but it really wasn't the way he wanted. Amen? So here's what I want you to know, first of all, as believers, God's on his throne. He's in control. He's orchestrating things the way he wants to, whether we like it or not, okay? So these two books overlap, and now we go back to the book of 2 Chronicles to the Jehoiakim, and guess who shows up? King Nebuchadnezzar comes in, takes over Jehoiakim. He, he tars and feathers him and leads, kills a bunch of them, and he brings a bunch of them into captivity into Babylon. Are you with me? Say amen. If not, we'll slow down here a little bit. He brings them into captivity. And then there's another book that overlaps here. Two more books, Ezra and Nehemiah. Now, we're not going to talk about them today. But all these books fit into the same time in history. Now, that's a lot of books. That's a lot of messages of what God's saying. Now, so Daniel and his friends were teenagers. And they were hauled off into captivity. They didn't die. They were brought into Babylon. They were one of the ones that Nebuchadnezzar uh, took with them. If you go to the end of the book of 2 Chronicles, you will see that Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the house of God. And when destroying the house of God, he stripped the temple of all the, the, the fine, the, the uh, articles, the gold, the chalices, all the things of value, he stole them. And he brought them back to Babylon. And that's important for biblical history because when God sends them back, According to the promise of Jeremiah, guess who has them? Guess who has them? The king in control. King, uh, a whole different king. King Cyrus has them. What I'm telling you is that God is faithful. And it's just one promise. And here was the promise. I want you to write this down. The just one promise of God is his presence. God is there when you think everything is going right. God is there when you think everything is going bad. God is there when you think he's forsaken you and abandoned you. God is there. Now stay with me here. If you have your Bible in the book of Daniel, in chapter 2. In chapter 2, Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar has a vision. And uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, nobody can answer it. And at the end of chapter 2, I mean the middle of chapter 2 in verses 10, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers, the astrologers, the magicians, the wise men of Babylon could not tell the king what his dream was. Now, I want you to highlight this verse in your Bible. I want you, everybody, turn. I'm not going to put all these scriptures on the screen today because I want you to turn in your Bible because I want you to mark some stuff, okay? Uh, you say, well, I don't mark in my Bible. Well, get you a pencil because today is a good day to start marking. Because you're going to want to hang on to some of these promises. If you've got a smart device, turn it on. Open it up to the book of Second, uh, to Daniel chapter 2. And I want you to highlight this verse. So here's what it says in verse 11. It says, what the king is asking is so difficult that no one can make known to him except the gods who do not dwell with men. He comes to him and says, I have this dream. I have this vision, and the answer is too difficult. I can't answer it. And so here's what the king does. He becomes angry, and he says, I want you to kill them all. Kill all the soothsayers, kill all the magicians, 
kill all the astrologers and kill all the wise men or the wise men from the Jewish people. And so here's what we see. So Daniel responds to the commander of the king's guard who has gone out to execute all the wise men. And he asks him what's happening. And so here's what happens. Let me just tee this up for you for a moment. Daniel goes to his friends and he says, we have to get a word from God. Matter of fact, if you look at it here, then Daniel in verse 17 went to his house and he told his friends, you may not recognize these names yet, but uh, this because it's their Jewish names. Their names in Babylon was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know those three guys? You heard of them, right? Now, the thing about Daniel is we've been so captivated by the picture image of God delivering these three men from the fiery furnace that we missed the miracle of chapter 2. And it's the promise of God's, that God is there, that he is there, the promise of his sovereign presence that he will not leave us or forsake us. So he went to these three men and he said, we've got to go to the God of heaven and we've got to ask him to tell us the mystery. Because the rest of the men of Babylon who are wise can't answer it. Look at verse 19. And the mystery was then revealed to Daniel in the vision at night. And Daniel praised God from heaven. And this was his declaration. Now let's read his declaration. May the name of God be praised forever and ever. For wisdom and power belong to him. He charges the times and the season. He removes kings and he established kings. And he gives wisdom to the wise, knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals the deep and the hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and, he, and light dwells in him. And I offer thanks and praise to God of my fathers, because you have given me, Daniel, wisdom and power. And, know, and now you have let me know what we ask of you. For you have, not let, us, you have let us know the king's mystery. All right, you with me? Now keep your Bible open, your smart device on right here because I want you to mark some things. Now here's the things that I want you to walk away with. Regardless of what happens this week, stay with me here. You with me? Regardless of what happens on Tuesday, a large percentage of this country is going to feel like you just elected King Nebuchadnezzar. Let me just speak candid. Hillary Clinton wins. A large portion of this country is going to say, we have put Nebuchadnezzar on the throne in the White House. Hillary Clinton loses. Donald Trump wins. The whole other bunch is going to say, oh my goodness, we have elected Nebuchadnezzar, and he's on the throne. And, and, and this whole concept would you agree with me with that i mean so i want to give you some words of encouragement that's going to get you through wednesday and through thursday and through friday and through saturday it's a no-win situation no win we're divided as a nation against one another we're not wrestling an enemy from abroad we're wrestling ourselves we're at war with one another. There's just no bullets flying like it was in the Civil War. But I'm telling you today that whatever happens Tuesday night into Wednesday morning, 
half of this country is going to feel like Nebuchadnezzar's in charge no matter who it is. Now, I have my personal preference on that. I'll keep it to myself, and I'm just going to tell you that God said, I'm telling you that that's how people are going to feel. Now, let me tell you a couple more things, and I'm going to give you a few points to write down. We believe in our mind. We have this belief system as citizens of the United States of America that we are the center of the Bible. Now, before you disagree with me, stay, stay with me and let me explain myself. We feel like the whole Bible was written for us. When we read the Bible, and I know it was written for us because we're the children of God, but we feel like the whole sovereignty of God hangs on what happens in this country, to this country. Now, theologians have tried to figure out the mystery of the United States for a long time. If we study eschatology, which I'm not going to get into this morning, we know that America is not an end-time player. We're not. We're not on the pages in the last days. Russia is. Other countries are. But we're not. So for a long time, theologians have debated, why, what is it that erases America? Like, what takes us off the pages? For a long time, I really felt like my belief system was, well, there'll be the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church will defeat the United States of America. I mean, just think about it. If all the Christians are called home, I'm a premillennialist. I believe Jesus is coming back for his bride like he said he was. I believe he's coming back for the great carrying away. And if he does, just think about the day after the rapture when everybody who professes the name of Jesus isn't there to pay their car note, house note, boat note, side-by-side note, uh, camp note uh, the next month, their business note. Just think about that. Think what will happen to our economy as a nation after the return of Christ. So that's what I thought it's going to be for a long time. I don't know. I really don't. The Bible doesn't say what's going to be it. But I never really thought we would give it up willingly. And we're in a place as a nation where if we don't have an intervention of God, a holy, moving, stirring of God, we're giving it up willingly. Now this introduction is killing me here. So just stay with me for a moment. Israel is the center of the Bible. Matter of fact, there's a couple of verses that talk about it. If you look at it, let's just walk through these. The Bible says in Psalms 117.8, write it down. I want you to write these down. You are the apple of my eye. He keeps the apple of my eye. The apple is the center. The Bible says in Zechariah 2.8, I'm coming against anybody who touches the apple of my eye. Does it mean that the apple of his eye won't have hard times? Does it mean the apple of his eye won't go through adversity? No, it doesn't mean that. But what it does mean is that in this moment, he's going to get vengeance on anybody who comes after his apple. Matter of fact, it happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. God raised up a king named Cyrus who came in and kicked his hiney and sent him packing down the road, overthrew him. Now, when we look at this, another verse is Deuteronomy 32.10. I want you to write all these down. They're on the screen. Don't turn there. He says, I have found the apple of my eye, and I have circled about them. I have guarded them. Proverbs 7 and 2 says, I honor the apple of my eye. I honor Israel. I honor Israel. Israel, Israel, Israel. The Bible says in Ezekiel 5 and 5, it says, Thus saith the Lord God, this is Jerusalem, the center of the being. And it says that I have set her as a center, the center of nations I've center set her as the center of nations with lands all around her when you look at a map of the Middle East guess who's in the center right there Israel so here's the concept Israel is the center 
of God's universe on planet Earth. We're not. I, I hate to be a Debbie Downer here, but the sovereignty of God does not hang on the balance of any nation. Now, the problem is that we're going through a mourning phase. Those of us who are my generation and older, we're mourning the country that we no longer have. The reality is this isn't the same thing. I mean, we, our country's not the same. It don't look the same. It doesn't feel the same. We are transitioning away from our biblical heritage, and we are moving into a postmodern worldview, a worldview that is centered on the doctrine of humanity and not the sovereignty of God. Now, let me give you these couple of things here. Get this. When the Bible says, I want you to go into all the world and be my witnesses in Matthew 28, he says, I want you to go to Jerusalem, I want you to go to Judea, I want you to go to Samaria, and I want you to go to the ends of the earth. Guess where we are? We're the ends of the earth. We're the islands of the sea. We are not the center of the biblical universe. God is. His sovereignty is. And if there is any nation that is the center of God's theological sovereign plan, it's Israel, not the United States of America. God did not have a plan. His, his plan didn't start when we became a country. And his plan won't end when we're no longer a nation. You say, you're saying that from the pulpit? I'm not saying it. God says it. I mean, I've studied the pages of eschatology. I've studied the end times. I don't know what causes it. So I'm telling you today that we need a promise. We need this one promise. His presence. His presence, his presence, his presence. And the dynamic of this is so interesting. It's so interesting in what God is wanting to do in our hearts and lives. The mission remains the same. Think about Paul. Paul wanted to go to Rome. You remember that? Why did he want to go to Rome? Because Jews hated the Roman oppression. Paul wanted to go to Rome to overthrow the Roman Empire so the Jewish nation might rule over. A matter of fact, that was the thing that made him so upset about Jesus. He said, I'm coming. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsting after righteousness. They were looking for somebody to come in and be a conquering hero to overthrow the Roman emperor who was overruling them and tormenting them. Paul said, I'm going to Rome to overthrow him. And then later, after he came to know Christ, Paul said, I'm going to Rome. I'm still going to Rome. I'm still going to Rome. But he went for a different purpose. Listen to me today, my brothers and my sisters in Christ. He went and found out what it was like to have a head full of knowledge about Jesus, to have a heart full of knowledge about Jesus. And God never took away the desire of his heart to go to Rome. He was just going to Rome for a different reason. He wasn't going to Rome to overthrow them. He wasn't going to Rome to overpower them. He was going to Rome to tell them the story of just one man, of just one Pharisee, of just one scholar, of just one Hebrew of the Hebrews and tell them about his salvation, about the victory, about the presence of God that wasn't around him but was now in him. All right, so here's the things I want you to write down. As we set our sails heading into turbulent waters, there's five things I want you to write down. 
Get your pen out. Get your smart device out. I want you to write them down. Go over in the book of Daniel, and here's what it says. He changes. If you don't have time to write them down, just get your Bible out and underline it. He changes. What did Daniel say? Do you realize what was happening? Not only did Nebuchadnezzar come in and take over, but I want you to understand that he was over. He, listen, the decree, they were waiting to die. Do you realize they had already started killing with the Babylonian astrologers, soothsayers, and magicians who couldn't answer the king's request? They were killing them. Daniel was waiting to die. And he goes to the man who is the chief executor. And he says, just hold on one minute. Give me one night. And he goes and he gathers up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he says, boys, we got to go hear from God. And Daniel gathers them up. And they begin to pray. And they begin to intercede. And God answers Daniel. And this is Daniel's reply back to God. He says, I know this, God, that you are the one who changes the seasons. Lord, you make it summer, you make it winter, you make it fall, and you bring about the spring. God, you are the one who makes the trees bud. You are the one who makes the leaves fall. God, in your hand, you change the seasons. Write this down, my friends. God is the changer. He is the change agent. Not the Democrats, not the Republicans, not these pesky independents who are the swing voters. God is the swing voter. He is the one who is sitting on his throne today. He is the one in his sovereign power. He is the one with the holy omnipotent. It's all omnipotence. And I want you to know today that he brings about the changing of the seasons. Second thing is, he removes these kings. The Bible says, I appoint kings, and I take kings down. Do you know what the Bible said to Isaiah 200 years before Cyrus was ever born? Isaiah wrote it down that I'm going to raise up a king, and his name's going to be Cyrus, and he's going to go in, and he's going to set my children free from the Babylonian captivity, and he's going to bring them back, and they're going to rebuild the temple of God. God said, I appoint kings and put them in positions of authority the bible says in proverbs 21 and 1 it says the heart of the king is in his hand and he can turn it whichever way he wants just like the waters of the river the third thing i want you to write down is this not only does he change not only does he remove but he gives what does he give wisdom he gives wisdom Look at what it says right here. I'm not making this up. Verse 21, he changes. Verse 21, he removes. He, verse 21, he establishes. He gives wisdom. The Bible says this in the book of 1 John. It says that if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask I mean, of God who giveth to all men liberally. Not 1 John, the book of James. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally. What wisdom does he give? He gives it to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. The third thing that he does is he reveals. What does he reveal? The secret. The mysteries. Do you know that God doesn't need WikiLeaks? Do you know that God doesn't need a mole inside the FBI? Do you know that God does not need hidden emails? Do you know that God doesn't need help by a man? He's got all 
by himself. In the beginning, there was God. In the beginning, there was the Father. In the beginning, there was the Son. In the beginning, there was the Holy Spirit. You say, where does it say that? In the book of Genesis chapter 1, he said, let us create the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was God. He reveals the deep secrets. 1 John 1 and 5 says this. Know this. The message you have heard from him and declare to you, God is light and in him is no darkness. Look at what the Bible says. I'm, I'm not making these points up. I mean, just mark them right here. It says he changes, he removes, he establishes, he gives wisdom, he gives understanding, he reveals, he knows he knows, he knows what is in the darkness, and in him there's no light. I mean, he is the light. You know, the Bible says in the book of Revelation, there's no need for the sun or the moon because the lamb is the light. God is light, and in him is no darkness. He reveals the deep secrets. He reveals the mystery. And in him is all light. So my brothers and sisters today, take comfort in this. When half of the nation feels like a victor, and the other half of the nation feels like a victim, know that God is on his throne. And he told those boys, Daniel was about to die. And he got shut up with God. And God gave him an answer. And we'll look at it next week. We'll look at the answer. We'll look at the miracle of that answer. Just one promise. You say, there's many promises in the Bible, Pastor. Oh, yeah, I know there is. But I'm telling you that if you ever get the one promise that I'll never leave you or forsake you, you don't really need any more. Because that's enough. That's enough. Are you groping for answers politically? Are you groping for answers financially? Are you groping for answers with your children, with your marriage, with your work? Are you struggling with knowing what to do? Take comfort in this. Daniel said, when my life depended on it, he revealed to me the secret. And he gave me the wisdom to know how to live beyond it. Today, God is wanting to do a work in our nation in our hearts, in our lives. Sometimes the greatest thing for a nation is adversity. Sometimes the greatest thing is God works in the adversity. Sometimes the greatest thing is trouble, because I'll tell you something, my friends. Trouble will run you to Jesus when nothing else will. We're not the center of eschatology. We're not the center of his theology. We're the uttermost parts of the earth. And I'm telling you today that while the whole nation is wringing their hands, don't you be like one who's groping in the darkness. You know this, and if God brings you to it, he will see you through. From faith to faith. You say, Pastor, how do you live your life? Romans 1.17. From faith to faith. From faith. Faith forward. Faith forward. Faith forward. Faith forward. 
faith forward. Quit mourning and lamenting the past and embrace the future. What did God tell Jeremiah? He said, tell them to build houses, plant vineyards, and have babies because you're going to be here a while. But you know what? I know the plans that I have for you, saith the Lord, to give you a hope and a future. Don't you go home saying God's not hearing my prayer. Don't you go home saying God's taking his eye off of this thing. Go home and say, God, I know whom I believe in, and I am persuaded that you are able to keep what I committed to you until that day. What's the one promise you need? His presence. Well, there's a whole lot more I could say about that, but you're in the television hour, so if you want to get those points really unpacked, you need to stay for round two, baby. But today, God is wanting to do something. Quit looking to Washington. It starts right here. Who's your just one? Who's your just one? I confess this week. I confess this week, and this is not pastoral manipulation here. I'm just sharing my confession. It's not manipulation if you give the disclaimer ahead of time. But I shared this week, I can remember the day that Family of Grace was a church that was broken over its family members, over its city, over its country. And when it came invitation time, you better get here early or you might not find a place at the altar. But over the course of time, God's been so good to us and God's blessed us as a church that we've grown complacent. And we think, well, I don't, I don't know what we think. I don't know where we've disconnected. But my greatest desire for you, if you're going to make it through what lies ahead, you better get anchored, not in emotionalism, but in desperation, coming together in Matthew 18, 19, agreeing with two or more on any matter, touching Jesus with it, that he might answer our prayers. What's the answer for your family? God is. What's the answer for your grandchildren? God is. I'm not giving you the Sunday school answer. I'm giving you a deep theological truth. He is wisdom. He is knowledge. He is understanding. He reveals the deep. He walks in light and not in darkness. God knows. God knows. God knows. If you don't know, run to the mercy seat. If you don't know what to do, run to the one who created you, who sustains you, who provides for you. Well, let me just wrap up. Would you be courageous enough to be desperate, to get beyond religion, to get beyond complacency and say, God, may I be the catalyst. Lord, may I be the Corey Ten Boone. May I be the one who holds all things loosely so that when you require of them, I'll give them up freely. Will you be the one, sir? Will you be the one? times past, God used roosters and donkeys to get his message across. But in these days, he's contracted with us to be his hand, to be his mouth, to be his body, to be his voice. You say, how do you know that? Well, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, now then you are an ambassador for Christ, his spokesperson, his advocate, as though God was imploring through you on Christ's behalf for men and women to be reconciled to God. 
You say, what should I pray? If you don't know what to pray, if you don't have a burden on your heart today, I would encourage you to get here and say, God, just start right here. Just start right here. God, I don't know what you need to do. I don't know what you need to break through. I don't know what you need to stir up. But God, here I am. I'm showing up and I'm accounted for. And I want to be the catalyst that makes a difference. Father God, move in our hearts and our lives. Lord, may you move in a mighty way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.